I'm not sure you ever heard people say that they love Jesus, but they just don't like the church. You know, I, I love Jesus. I just hate the church. You know, and, and so when you examine uh, people's uh, perception, you know, it, it, it's, sad, it's sad to say, but sometimes they're right in, in what they say. Why is it that they don't like the church? Because maybe they have been hurt by churches and, you know, they promised that they would never set foot at a church because of what happened there. And, you know, maybe some leaders or whatever, you know, and that's why people have this idea. Like, I love Jesus. I mean, they, they think they can have a relationship with Jesus apart from the church. For some of us, that'd be awesome. Can you imagine you just loving Jesus? You don't have to deal with people ever, especially people who have personalities and issues and things. Newsflash, the, the problem with that ideal, the problem with that perception is that it's anti-biblical. You, can't, you cannot love God apart from his church. No, I thought, I thought you could do it. And then I found a text. I'm going to show you a, a, a verse in the Bible that says, that proves to you that it's impossible to claim to love God and hate his church. I mean, especially the church later on is called the body of Christ. That's like telling a girl, I love your face, but I hate your body. I mean, you know what I mean? I don't know how that's going to work. So there's even a book written because this issue that, you know, I heard people say, I just love Jesus. I love Jesus, but I just don't like the church. Biblically speaking, how does that work? That you said you can love Jesus, but you don't love people. When the two, the two greatest commandments, love God and love people. But again, might be a misunderstanding that people have in terms of what the Bible actually teaches. So this, this man, Dan Kimball, wrote a book entitled, They Like Jesus, But Not the Church. Like I said, there are so many wrong, there are so many wrong things with claiming to love Jesus and hating, and hating the church. Like I said, I understand some of us being hurt by churches. Uh, you know, some churches have taken advantage of people and they just, they abandon the faith. They don't want to go to church at all. I understand that. There are so many reasons why people would just want to have a relationship with Jesus just by themselves apart from the church. However, you can't, you can't claim to love God and not His church. It's in the Bible. Look at the text in, in 1 John 4.20. John says, Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. Ouch. For whoever does not love God their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. Period. <laughs> it's like, you cannot claim to love God and hate people. I mean, you see people every day. You don't love... Just, uh, uh, John is saying, you cannot claim to love God whom you have not seen when you hate your brothers and sisters and you see them every day. And you know, loving God and loving people had to be done Simultaneously, at the same time, loving God and loving people. You show God that you love Him, that you love Him by loving people, and people are called the church. So, in other words, you cannot love God without loving people. I hate to break it to those people that so you, you you want to have a relationship with Jesus, with God, all by yourself. You can't. Jesus said you can't. He said you gotta love people, and then you love me. See, when we go through the Scripture and study the Church of Jesus. We will then understand Christ's church is essential to God's kingdom. The church matters because it was God's idea. I mean, we did not decide to 
have this idea of church. God decided to, to, to create this, uh, this thing that we call the church. It mattered enough for God to send his son to die on our behalf. So if it mattered that much to God, I think it should matter to us. Wouldn't you think? If the church mattered that much to God that he sent somebody to die for the church, to sanctify the church, to save the church, then I think it should matter to me. Now, maybe I think it's fair that I define what the church is. Because, you know, you go to Google and sometimes they say the church is the building or something like that. But that's not the biblical definition of the church. We're going to get to define it the biblical way. You see, it was right after Jesus was about to tell the disciples what he came to do. According to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 16. You know, at one time Jesus asked the disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? You know, the Son of Man is, is a messianic title. The Son of God, the Son of Man. Uh, in fact, the prophet Daniel saw in a vision the Son of Man. You know, and he was given dominion to every kingdom. So when Jesus used that title, the Son of Man, he's referring to himself. So in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And, and the disciples say, well, people are thinking that he's Elijah, John the Baptist, or one of the prophets. And then finally he said, but who do you say that I am? And I always, I always talk about that question because you and I need to understand who Jesus Christ truly is. Because there's so many Jesus, so many Jesuses running around, you know, the, the Jesus of history. Apparently it's different from the Jesus of the Bible. And, and people, you know what I mean? Like some people believe that Jesus, Jesus was just a prophet like Mohammed or a te- or like Scientologists believe that Jesus just came to, to teach us how to be spiritually advanced in knowledge. That's it. But he wasn't the son of God. And there's so many people in religious groups that believe weird, weird things about Jesus. And that's why Jesus asked that question. So go with me to the Gospel of Matthew 16 so that we can see the background. Because Jesus later on talked about his church in that conversation he had with the disciples. Matthew 16 verse 13 through following. Reading the ESV, it says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, or Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered, answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, by... Barjona. Barjona means son of Jonah or son of John. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. The first time Jesus ever claimed that he's going to build his church was in the context of asking the disciples, who do you say that I am? And on this rock I will build my church. And watch this. And the gates of Hades, or hell, shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you lose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And then he secretly charged the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. In the context that Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? Peter spoke on behalf of the other apostles and said, you are the Messiah. Christ is the Greek word for Messiah, uh, the Hebrew word. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, you got it, Peter. Blessed are you, uh, 
Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. In other words, this thing did not come to you by human origin, but it's my Father who revealed that to you. And I say that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And here's the first time you hear, like I said, Jesus claiming that he's going to build a church. Now, mind you, if he builds it, it got to be hurt. It got to be his. If he builds the church, it got to be his church because he's the architect, he's the engineer, he's going to build it. Now, you and I might not know how he's going to do it, but he says, and on this rock, I will build my church. Now, what is the church? Now, we go through the Bible, the, the word there is ecclesia. Sounds like iglesia, almost in Spanish. Ecclesia means gathering, assembly, or the assembly of the called out ones. Uh, another word is, is the congregation, the gathering assembly of those who profess, who profess faith in Jesus. It's the congregation of those who believe in Jesus. Another, another definition, it is a group of followers or disciples of Jesus that are who is called the church in the, in, in the New Testament. So every time you hear, about, you hear the word, and the church did this, it's not a building who's doing anything. The church is never a building. It's never the, the structure. The church is always the people. It's the people who's called the church. So when there are two or three disciples gathered, they say, oh, the disciples are eating. You can say, the church is eating. A whole bunch of disciples are on the train. You can say, the, 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 the church is riding the train right now. It's disciples of Jesus coming together. That is what's called... The church, the ecclesia in, in, in the New Testament. Now it's interesting, the word church is singular, but it denotes plurality. It's like the word flock. A flock is not just one sheep, you know, flock means a lot. The flock of sheep or a flock of birds or the herd is a singular word to talk about a number of things, plurality. Uh, uh, a fleet, the fleet of this, uh, boats. Flee, it's not just one boat. <laughs> it has to be many. So church is like gathering of God's people. The gathering of the congregation. The coming together of those who are called out. Those who profess faith in Jesus Christ. Now it's interesting. The church, that one that Jesus said, I will build my church. Began in, when you read the book of Acts chapter 2. That was the birth of the church. And it happened to be that it was very much through Peter. Peter preached his first sermon during the day of Pentecost. Pentecost, that was 50 days after the Passover. You remember Passover in Easter time when Jesus, Thursday evening, he took the bread and broke it and gave it to the disciples. This is my body. That was Thursday evening. Friday he died. Sunday he resurrected. 50 days from that Thursday, 50 days is Pentecost, which means 50, Penta. 50 days, Peter is preaching a sermon. Jesus is already gone. Peter is preaching a sermon and at the end of the sermon, 3,000 souls came and became uh, believers in Jesus. And to me, that's when the church was birthed, man. There was like 120 people in Acts chapter 1. By chapter 2, we had 3,000 people. And how did, Peter, how did Peter do that? With the very words that he says, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. If you go to Acts 2, 36 through 38... Peter said in verse 36, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, 
whom you crucified. God has made Jesus, whom you crucified, Lord and Messiah. You, and he said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. With the very words of Jesus, uh, the very words of Peter, the church was birthed during the day of Pentecost. And it's interesting because Jesus, uh, Peter called people to repent and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Verse 36, people said, what shall we do when they were cut to the heart because of the preaching of Peter? The Holy Spirit was convicting people. They asked, what shall we do? Peter said, repent, change your ways. Repent to be baptized, all of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and for anybody else who is far away of whoever, whomever the Lord God will call. He called people to repentance. He said, forgiveness is available. Now... You go Acts 2, 41, you read verse 41, says, Those who received his message were baptized and then added to the number. And now uh, the number of disciples is increasing. One, from 120, now we have added 3,000 souls to the day of Pentecost. Those who received Peter's message were baptized, then added to the number. That's what, what we baptize believers. We don't baptize infants because they don't believe anything. They don't know what they're doing. You know, we baptize people because you have to profess. So they say, what shall we do? Peter said, repent and be baptized. Okay, I guess we have to do that. So they received the message. They, were, they believed in Jesus as Lord and Christ. And they were baptized. Then 41 added to the number. 42 says, then they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's how the church behaved. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to coming together, to the breaking of bread, to eating together, and to... Prayer. You want to know how the church behaved? A lot of times there are people that said they wanted to be an Acts 2.42 church. Which means your devotion to the word of God, to one another, to prayer. That's how Jesus began to build his church. At the preaching of the apostles. Because they began to tell people, you know, you keep on reading. By chapter 5, there's like 5,000 people that came. The disciples did not stop because they were empowered by the Spirit to proclaim Jesus. Presenting Jesus as the resurrected Messiah, Lord and Christ. You see, the church, my friends, belongs to Jesus. Jesus is the founder. It was his idea. He bought it. He purchased it. The Bible used... The Bible uses this idea of redemption. You hear the word redeem. That's, that is an economic term. Redeem means like pay back. You know, and, and so we've been redeemed. We've been bought by a, you know, by a price. So when you go to uh, the book of Acts to, now this is Paul. In Acts 20, 28, he's talking to the elders of the efficient church. And he says, be shepherds, shepherds of God's flock. Flock, singular word, meaning a lot. Which he bought with his own blood. So who bought it? Jesus. Through his blood, we've been purchased. In the book of Revelation. So you see, all the apostles, they all, got, they all got this thing. This idea that we all being, if we're members of God's family, means that we're all being purchased. We're all being bought. We're all being given the privilege to be adopted into the family by the sacrifice of Jesus. So Revelation 5, 9 says, With your blood, you purchased people for God from every tongue, tribe, and nation. That's an image. It's like, you are, you are, uh, they saw, uh, John sees the Lamb says, You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because with your blood you, pur- you purchase men from, for God from all tongue, tribe, and nation. You purchase men. So he bought it. He purchased us. How? Through the sacrifice of his own blood. 
First Peter 1.18. We've been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus. We have not been redeemed by precious metal, silver, or gold. We've been redeemed, bought by the precious blood of Jesus. Michael was talking about in the Old Testament, there was no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. You, you, you committed an act, a sin, somebody needed to die. And in this case, you, you had a substitute, you had an animal sacrificing the blood, and now you were, they were atoned for, you were forgiven for a while, and then now here comes Jesus. He says, you know, I'm going to be the one sacrificing myself for you. So that through my sacrifice, you can have life. We've been redeemed. We've been purchased. Ephesians 1.7 says, Through His blood we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. So the church, the church, my friends, belongs to Jesus. It is His thing. It is His idea. I mean, it's interesting. The church is even called the bride of Christ. I mean, it's interesting enough, Paul uses the analogy, this idea of, said, when he's talking to the husbands of, of the church, of the efficient church, he says, Husbands, love your wives. How? As Christ loved the church. Because he sacrificed himself for her to present to himself a radiant church. When I read that, and I just did a wedding on Saturday, I tell people, if your wife's not shining, it's your fault. Because Jesus, you know, the church will not be shining because he sacrificed himself to present to himself a radiant church. So, I mean, love them as Christ loved the church. How did he love the church? Enough to die for her. He sacrificed himself for her. And we husbands are to sacrifice ourselves for the ones we claim to love. So, even, even there, there's an analogy, an analogy that Paul uses to talk about the relationship between Christ and his church. It's called the bride of Christ. He purchased them. He went back to heaven and prepare a place and one day he's going to come back for his bride. That's why there's something called in Revelation the wedding supper of the Lamb. I don't know about you but we're looking forward to the time. And the wedding with whom? The church. The church matters that much to Christ. I mean he purchased it. He sacrificed. Christ loved the church so much and sacrificed himself for her. If he loved the church so much why shouldn't I love the church? It's his church. Interesting, in that text in Matthew 16, you, you, Jesus talks about, I will build my church in the gates of Hades. Hades is it's the place of the underworld. Like if you're familiar with Thor and Loki, they, they have Hades. It's like the, the underworld over there. If you have a translation that says hell, it's not hell, it's Hades. Because Hades, later on, is going to be thrown into hell, according to Revelation. But some translations say you know, in the gates of Hades, or the, gates, the gates of hell will not overpower. What is Jesus saying here? Jesus, Jesus is saying that even the underworld will not be able to stop his church. You know, when I, that passage gave me so much comfort during the pandemic in 2020. Because, you know, a lot of times we couldn't gather. We couldn't meet. And people's like, churches are going to disappear. Because, you know, what's going on? And then I realized Jesus said that his church will transcend time. Nothing is going to stop it. Not a pandemic. Nothing else is going to stop the church of Jesus Christ because it's His. Amen. And He says, you know, if He says not, not even hell, all the demonic angels and things and voodoo, whatever might be out there, that's not going to stop the, the advancement of the church of Jesus Christ. And so to me, that gives me comfort. So Jesus said, the church will transcend time. You know, and you, you hear about that, you know, maybe many of you already saw this, uh, the movie Doctor Strange, all the, the open, opening portals and all the things, you know, uh, multiverse and things like that. 
So this is going to be here on all the multiverse. The church of Jesus Christ will go from one to another. So he said, not even the gates of the underworld, the gates of Hades will not overpower, will not dominate my church. You see, the destiny of the church is eternal. He, G, G, uh, the church will continue Forever and ever. That's what Jesus said. I came to give you life and life more abundantly. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will never die. And even though you experience physical death, you go on from. So death is not even the end, the final chapter of those who are in Christ. Death is not the final chapter of the church. It's just a transition into life everlasting. The church of Jesus Christ will prevail through the ob- any obstacles. Even hell will not be able to stop this thing. Wow. I mean, that's the most powerful being in, on the planet, Jesus. And he says, my church will continue to go on. Nothing will stop. And, you know, that, that also gives me a lot of comfort because, you know, churches, we're all going to go through str- struggles and tribulations and, and issues. And, and, you know, I told, I told this church many, many years ago, if God wants his church to be open, no one can close it. And if God wants to close this church today, you and I don't have the, you, you and I are not powerful enough to keep it open. That's why he said in Revelation 3, look, I, I hold the key. I give you an open door because I'm the one who opens doors that no one can shut and shuts doors that no one can open. Jesus is talking about. So if God wants his church to be here today, it's because it is his church and nothing's going to stop it. Now, you and I know that there are churches that they have stopped existing and you wonder why? And I think the reason might be because Jesus got kicked out of the churches. It's no longer Jesus' church. It might be the pastor church or somebody else. And then Jesus is not, not even in the service. And I always, I always say, as long as I'm the preacher here, Jesus had to be the center. I'm sorry. Jesus had to be the center because... Amen? amen. Because it is His church. Now, one of the seven churches in Revelation... You know, uh, Revelation, I think it's chapter 3, verse 20. Jesus is outside. So I'm, he's outside the door knocking. He says, I'm at the door knocking. If anybody hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. And I think there's something wrong with that verse. Because why is Jesus outside the church? When you see him before, he's in the midst of them. Represented as, as a candle. And all the seven, seven candles. Uh, Seven candles representing each one a church. And Jesus is in the midst. And now he's knocking outside the door. Who kicked Jesus out? Somebody wrote a book and says that uh, a lot of times Jesus doesn't even show up to our worship services. Because, you know, we make it about something else. You know, all all the glamour and the thing and the light and the smoke machines. And it's like, you know, we want to duplicate that. Jesus is not impressed by that. You know, we might impress people. So, oh, yeah, you know, we got to get... You know, more, more electric guitars and things. And it's like, you know, Jesus is looking at our hearts. We, we are impressed by all these things. But Jesus is like, you know, he said to, to one of the people, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far away from me. And so one of those churches like, really, you kick Jesus out of the, your gathering? He had, he's supposed to, it's his church, man. He needs to be at the center. And now he's knocking so that maybe somebody opens the door. For, mm-mm. So, that's just wrong right there. It is his church. So even, you see, even you got churches, and, and that's one of the points that I'm going to make, that the church operates in the Bible as a global universal church, but it's also made of local churches. You see, Jesus Christ still calling people to himself through the preaching 
of the gospel through us. Every time we preach the gospel, people are going to have a response. Either they're going to ignore, neglect it, or they're going to receive it. When they receive it, we always have to tell people, you've got to be part of a church where Jesus is preached, where the gospel is preached. Be, be part of a Christ-centered church so you can grow and know what you're supposed to be doing to tell other people about Jesus. So we have the global church. The universal church is, is made up of anyone in the world who believes in Jesus as Lord and Savior. And everyone in the world. So you and I have brothers and sisters. The only, we have brothers and sisters who do not speak the same language that you do. Isn't that amazing? I mean, people, like, they look totally different from you and I. But we're brothers and sisters. Why? Because we all being purchased. We all say yes to Jesus. And now that will make us brothers and sisters in Christ. John 1, 11 and 12 says, He came to His own people, but His own people did not receive Him. Yet to those who received Him, to those who believed in His name, He gave Him the right to be made children of God. We are sons and daughters of the King. From all tongue, tribe, and nation. So he's still, people, Jesus is still calling people to to a relationship with him through the preaching of the gospel. So the global church, universal church, is everyone in the whole world. But the church is also made up of local congregation. Because there are not churches all over the world. So you see in the Bible, we have the New Testament. It's, it's, the New Testament is really... It's 39 books talking about... Um, Churches. The majority of the, of, of the New Testament is made of letters that are written to churches. And I'm going to show you some. So local churches. For, for instance, you have a book entitled Romans. It's written to the church in Rome. Corinthians. Two letters to that church in Corinth. Ephesians. The, a church that was in Ephesus. The Ephesian church. There's a book in the Bible also. Like I say, Ephesians. But... The church of Ephesus is one of those seven churches of Revelation. Even Jesus wrote a letter to them. Because at one time, they were forgetting how to love one another. So, you got a church in Philippi. We have the Philippians. That's the book that Paul wrote to the church of Philippi. And that church was predominantly women. They did not even have a Jewish synagogue because the Jewish population of Philippi was non-existent. So the church started by women gathering by the riverside and Paul came and preached the gospel and this woman opened her, uh, her heart to the Lord and they began to meet at her house, Lydia. And now we have a church. In, I think this is one of the greatest letters that Paul writes to, to Philippians the, because he writes to them to thank him. That's the letter where he says, I can do all things through Christ. To, to the Philippians he said, the only problem you, you hear about the Philippian church was two women that didn't want to get along with each other. And Paul is writing to them from prison. says, I pray that you and the Lord please get along. But the other churches, you know, so the local church, every letter is different because churches as local institutions, they have different issues. You know, uh, the, the Corinthians were getting drunk with the wine or the Lord's Supper. You know, and so every church, so at least, at least 13 letters so the majority of the books in uh, the, New Test uh, the New Testament are letters written to churches or individuals like Timothy, Titus, Philemon. Those are individuals, but the rest are churches. So at the return of Christ, who, what church is he going to get? At the return of Christ, he's going to bring all the universal church, all the churches all over the world. Like if Paul were to write a letter, he said, to the Staten Island Church. And we all have our own issues. And, and he would just make it personal, like dealing with this. 
to the church in, in, in Jersey, to the church in uh, uh, Brooklyn, and things. Everywhere there's a church. So when Jesus comes, all those saints will go with him. Because at the end of the day, when Jesus, when Jesus Christ comes back, the church will reign with Christ. I love that because you and I, I mean, Jesus said, uh, if I overcame, you also going to be overcomer. So at the end, we're going to reign with Christ. You know how many times... You know, uh, when people, when the pandemic began, there were so many religious notes like, oh, it's going to be the end. Oh, and, and like we're panicking because it's going to be the end. Yeah, that's, let, it, let it come because at the end, the church wins. Because you said not even the gates of Hades will overpower. So it's like when, when that thing is happening, your, our job is like, oh, is it time yet, Lord? <laughs> Whenever you're ready. Because in, in the blinking of an eye, he might say like, Boom, I make all things new. And then he will gather his church. And the Bible used the analogy. He will gather the elect from all the four corners of the earth. All of them. To reign with him forever and ever. Jesus as king of kings and lord of lords. Man, we look forward to that. That's what we say in the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done. When would that happen? When he comes. You see, the church matters so much to God because... He did all that for his church. And he's coming back to church. All the bad part of Revelation. All those. The the, the wrath. The ball of wrath. And all the trumpets. All the things. You know. A lot of people. A lot of Christians. They're intimidated to read the book of Revelation. Don't be intimidated. Because the bad stuff ain't for you. You know. If you're in Christ. Like you don't have to worry about all these things. Because you will not even be there. Jesus will already take you. Before the beast comes and starts. You know what I mean. That's not for you. So. So be calm, you know, because at the end, we win. The church of Jesus Christ will go on forever and ever because he says nothing is going to stop it. Even today, the government won't be able to stop it. I mean, they might hunt us down tomorrow. They might take our, our, our tax exemption because they say, oh, you're going to be preached against this. Then we're going to close you, close the doors. They might close the, this door, but they're not gonna, we're still going to gather under the mango tree over there. Or the things, you know, we're going to gather somewhere because the church gathers anywhere. So the church was such a big idea for Jesus. Shouldn't it be for us as well? If it mattered that much for God, I think it should matter to us. So you and I are the church of Christ. Like I said, we have brothers and sisters that we don't have not even met. And Jesus is calling us to be his church, to represent him. And recruit other people to be part of his kingdom. You see, the church is such such an essential aspect of the kingdom of God. It matters, and it should matter to you and I as well. Would you pray with me this morning?